0: I mean, I don't know, you, you, you're you, all tired this morning at all, anybody tired? No, Jeremy's not, I know the rest of you are, you just, everybody seems a little bit down. It's okay though, it's okay, I had a little bit of a weird night last night myself, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you have weird nights, especially on Saturday nights right before you go come and preach the word of God, it happens on occasion, right? I fed Naomi about 11 o'clock, about, about 1, 1.30, she starts moaning again, you know, she likes ba-ba's, man, and, uh, and so I got up about 1.30 and... Uh, and uh, I fed her another ba-ba, but she didn't like it because it was cold. I kept it in the fridge, so I had to go make another ba-ba because she's not like the Lord. She likes her milk lukewarm. <laughs> and so I, I gave her a little lukewarm ba-ba, and, uh, and then we went, we went on, and I sit in there for a while, and if I stay up too long in the middle of the night, I can't go back to sleep. So I'm sitting there, and I'm sort of meditating on the Lord. I'm thinking about what I'm going to be preaching this morning, and as I'm doing that, I, I live in a very old house. It was built in like 1950s, and every now and then, we got a cat that usually takes care of it, but sometimes we get a mouse problem, anybody, amen, right? I remember one time, this is coming to my mind right then, Donald, where I saw you one time, Donald got a van infested with mice. It was a bad day. Like It ate through the wire and all that. I hate mice, man, and I've got a law in my house. That if a mouse be caught, thou shalt die. Amen. It, like there's a law. I, I, I know people, you know, talk about, well, you need to release, you need to catch that mouse and release it back into the wild. If you're one of those people, I disagree. Um, respectfully. Uh, but I got a law, you know, so I hear that thing moving and all of a sudden I got one of them traps, you know, I got like four traps set in my bedroom closet because for, for whatever reason, that's where they like to get. And I hear a swap, you know, right in the middle of the night, about 3 a.m. I still haven't been asleep. And I said, Honor, did you hear that? She said, yeah, I heard it. I said, it's a mouse. So I said, well, you know, there's a law here. And, if I'm, and I heard him, see, because it's like we just got, I just got him by the leg. I don't even know why I'm telling this this morning. This has, I just want to tell you. So we got him by the leg. We got him by the leg and he's in there. I hear the trap running around everywhere because he's like, he's trying to get away. So, so I open the closet door and I look in there, and sure enough, he's like, trying to try take off. And I'm thinking, oh no. And he goes up under this little thing, and I'm like, oh, I can just barely see him. So I'm thinking, what can I get to get this mouse out of here? And the only thing I see there literally is a sword over in the corner of the closet. <laughs> I'm like, man, the Lord, thou hast provided. And so I pulled this sword out. It was actually, it's not a sharp sword. Actually, it was gifted to me by the church one time here, if y'all remember. So it's like a short, sh- short dagger. I didn't actually use it to kill the mouse. I was, now I was in my, in my birthday suit, y'all. I mean, I, you know, I, I had pajamas on, like lower level, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know this may be too much for Sunday morning. My Lord, I told you I'm tired. So, 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 I, so I get, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I put one shoe on my left foot because I know I'm going to probably have to stomp his thing because he's running wild. So I drag him out with the sword, and then he comes there, and I look at him for a minute, and he's sitting there really struggling. And I think to myself, man, I'd love to let you live, but i got a law in my house, and I cannot break this law right now. And so I stomped him, and he, and he went to be with the Lord this morning at 3 a.m. Anyway, you say, well, how does that fit in? I'll make it fit in. We're in a sermon series called Law and Love. Amen. I love Naomi, see, but that, 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 that mouse had to experience the law of the land in that, in that particular situation. So I'm running on a little bit of sleep, but I figured if I shared that story, it would help my mind function a little bit better. So, so we're in a sermon series called Law and Love. And this, this morning in particular, I'm going to go to a story at the end of this where a woman... Where a woman was actually confronted with the law, and the law that she broke determined the fact that she should be put to death for the law that she broke, just like that mouse. Logan, you care to turn my mic down a little bit, just a little bit in the house? And so she she broke the law, and we're gonna get to that story, and death was supposed to come upon her life because of the law that she broke. So I'm gonna start though in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. Here's what it says. Now, Jesus is talking about this, and and the title of my message this morning is is Jesus Fulfills. And Jesus wants to speak specifically about the law, about its function, about its purposes, and what he's come to do with it. But here's what he says. He says, "...do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished." Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so, the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." Now, you know, we live in a day, honestly, when the law is, is it's getting pushed and it changes all the time. Like we start rewriting laws. We decide that this law's not good anymore. Maybe we need to make a law uh, concerning this. And, 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 and a lot of times we go against the law. How many of you have been in trouble with the law? I've been in trouble with the law a few times. Uh, my biggest trouble was when I was a teenager, I, I, I got a couple of uh, underage drinking tickets, you remember? And I can't tell you all of my uh, pro- run-ins with the law because I'm going to plead the fifth today, and I don't know what the statute of limitations is. But I, you know, I've stolen a few things, I've got to be honest with you. And, uh, and when I was a younger, young teenager, I, have, uh, I can remember specifically I went to Panama City speaking of spring, spring break, and we went, we, we went, and I was a young teenager, right? And we were on the beach partying all day, and I come up, and I'm in my swimming trunks. I got an empty solo cup, and I've got like a lawn chair. And I'm like, now this is pre-salvation, y'all. I just got to warn you, right? It's not like, well, pastor did this? This is pre-salvation. So I come up, and and I'm walking, and I'm just, you know, just happy as I can be. And all of a sudden, two ATF agents, big old dudes, son. The two ATF agents just throw me up against the wall, put me in handcuffs instantly, come over and put me on the vehicle, are searching my pockets, which are very thin because I only got swimming trunks on, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and they're messing with me. They're making fun of me. They're giving me a hard time. And, and all these things are going on. And I just kept saying, yes, sir, no, sir. I was just being as kind as I could. They made fun of me. I said, yes, sir, you're right. I'm an idiot. And I, and I, and I, just, went, I just went along with it. And I let, I let them say whatever they wanted to. But, because what happened was I was scared. They had me at that point for underage drinking. But what they didn't have me for uh, was what I had in my, in, my, in, my, in my hotel room. Amen. You know, when you break the law, you get scared, don't you? If anybody's ever broken it, you know when you break the law, there's, a, there's like this kind of a fear and a trepidation of getting caught. And see, when we've been talking about the law, there's a reason the law is in place, and part of that reason is that exact same thing. Can you imagine a world where there literally is no law, where everybody is just a free-for-all? When people break the law, there are punishment in place because we know that if you let anybody just go on and do what they want to, man, we're going to get in bad, serious condition. But see, the, the Israelites, the Old Testament, they had laws that were far more even serious than ours because it wasn't even just about like you can't steal or you can't murder somebody or you can't drink underage. Like they had dietary laws. They had ceremonial laws. You couldn't eat bacon. Anybody amen me? Like if you ate bacon this morning, you were a Jewish person, you would have broken the law. They had lots and lots and lots of laws for a very specific purpose. But you've got to understand, you know, Jeremy was talking two weeks ago about how do, we, how do we deal with those laws? I mean, when we read the Old Covenant, surely we're not under all that. And the truth is, no, we're not under all of those laws in the same way that they were under those laws. There are some laws like sacrificial laws, ceremonial laws. They all died at the cross, We no longer have to offer sacrifices because at the cross, Jesus became the end to all sacrificial laws. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But see, there are some things that transformed through the cross. Like Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath holy. See, you don't have righteousness because you come to church or you don't work on the Sabbath. Jesus has now become our Sabbath rest. He is the Sabbath. Now, it doesn't mean that the principle isn't still good. I believe that it's a good time to rest one day a week. And it's also good to be in the house of God on Sunday. Right? Amen. That's the principle. Amen. Right? So we believe that, but it's transformed through the cross. But then there are some laws that actually made it through the cross. And that is the moral law of God. And this is why if you read in the New Testament, you'll see that Paul, Peter, all these guys, every book in the New Testament you will read, they are listing specific sins that are not to be named among believers in Christ. And what they're actually adopting is the moral law of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Peter adopts it and he says, As it is written in the law, be holy for I am holy. Right? Amen. So, so he's saying there are some things that actually go through the cross and we're supposed to pay attention to it. And this is why Jesus says, he says, Boys, listen, I don't think that I've come to abolish the law or get rid of it. I've not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. And he says, what I don't ever want you doing is relaxing the laws. Has anybody ever relaxed the law? You know what I'm saying? That ain't that bad. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing. When sin infiltrates the church or sin infiltrates the community or sin infiltrates the world and it happens repetitively over and over again, people get weary with it and so they slowly begin to relax it. Amen. Are y'all with me this morning? And so we relax it and then let it go. It's like, it's like but, but here's the thing. We don't really ever, we, we should never relax the law, should we? Grace is important, but I'm going to get to the end of what that means and what grace means because we should never relax the law. It's the same reason when we get up here and we preach, we don't say, you know what, guys, at the end of the day, you know what, sexual ethic is a good thing and all that. But really, we should relax a little bit because kids nowadays, I mean, they need to get out and be a little bit promiscuous, maybe have sex with a few people and try things out just in case, you know, we don't preach that, do we? No, because we don't relax the law in that. We don't relax our sexual ethic. We believe it is between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, and we are supposed to maintain purity until that marriage takes place. Somebody amen me. Amen. See, we don't relax that, do we? We, also don't, we never say things like, you know what, a little bit of theft never hurt nobody. Like you should get out, steal a few things, just, just to kind of take the edge off. We never say that, do we? Theft is a bad thing. We believe it's law. We don't say, you know what, adultery every now and then, you know, trade wives on occasion. Nobody says that because we don't think it's a good thing. But yet in our world over and over again, we're like, man, these these daggone legalists, you know, they they hate the law. This law is an oppressive thing. But here's what I want you to understand. There's always an idea when it comes to the grace of God that somehow we need to go easy on people and not have the standard of the law. And I want you to understand this, that if the, if the people out there in the world are not exposed to the law, they will never actually experience the grace of God. The grace of God does not come until you realize your broken, sinful condition. And the problem is, and Jeremy said this two weeks ago, that God gives what? He gives law to the proud and grace to the humble. And when you finally come to the end of yourself and you realize, man, I cannot do this. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I cannot keep the law. It's at that point when you say, Jesus, I need help. And it's at that point that he extends his grace to you. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about law and love and the purpose of the law and all of these things. Because here's, here's the truth. We have all broken the law at some point in our lives. Every single one of us, we've messed up. We've made terrible mistakes. I've broken more laws than most of y'all. That's why I gave... Listen, if I told y'all some of the stories of the things I've done, I'd, the cops would probably be in here in a little bit. Like I said, I don't know what the statute of limitations are. Like, if you, how can they... Do they extend 20 years? I don't know. Anyway... But what happens is, is when sin gets in the church, the church even begins to relax the law, don't they? We begin to relax it. We say, well, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. We'd hurt their feelings because we know that we've all committed these sins. And here's the thing. That's the thing about the church. We can all come in here together and we know that, guess what? Every single one of us has messed up. We've broken some laws. But that never gives us the right to begin to relax them. Amen. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying just because you've broken the law doesn't mean it gives you a right to relax in. But then you see two things pop up in the church, legalism and licentiousness, okay? Legalism is the overemphasis of keeping rules to be right with God apart from faith in Christ. Amen. Let me read that one more time. Legalism is the overemphasis of keeping rules to be right with God apart from faith in Christ. So you see, a lot of churches, man, they will they will put rule upon rule upon like you got to wear a certain t- kind of clothes, you got to shave your face a certain way, women you got to have your hair certainly. Like there could be a million different things that we can put on people. You can't do this, you can't do that, and really it's not scriptural or biblical. They're just adding rules on to say if you do these things you'll go to heaven, if you don't you'll go to hell. That's legalism. We don't believe in that. Amen. But on the other hand, you can go to the opposite of extreme in a church and you can go into licentiousness. And Jude 4, he actually says, he actually says that there would be teachers that come in that teach that the grace of God is a license to sin. Right, And so it is a license to do what you desire because Jesus died for your sin after all and he'll forgive you. How many of y'all y'all, y'all on the verge of committing sin and you're like, well, we'll just go ahead and do it because God is gracious, you know what? And he'll forgive us, praise the Lord. Amen, isn't that the good news of the gospel? No, that's not the good news of the gospel. Amen, right? Y'all with me, it's going to get better as we get to the end. Just hang on with me through it. I'm letting the law do the work that it needs to do in your life. And so Jesus ends up saying, neither of these are good. See, we, we we trust in Christ and faith in Him alone for our salvation. None of my works will ever earn me right standing with God. It's not about me doing good works or doing good things to earn my salvation. But here's what you got to understand. When the law brings me to a breaking point and I say, God, I broke them all. I can't do anything. And I say, Lord, I need you. And I cry out in salvation. He transforms my heart. He extends his grace to me in the pit of darkness and shame that I'm in. He gives me a hand. He pulls me out of the pit and he says, now, son, I'm giving you a new heart and I'm giving you new power. And no longer are you defined by those sins and no longer do you have to stay in bondage to those sins because I'm writing my law in your heart and I'm writing your law, my law in your mind. And you are a new creation, a transformed person. This is what the grace of God does in our life. And see, here's the thing. They tried for so many years, 1,600 years they were under the law. They tried to keep it. Nobody ever kept it. Not one person ever kept it until Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. But see, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. That's what he says. Because for 1,600 years they tried so hard to keep it and they failed over and over and over and over again and it brought them to the end of themselves. And Jesus said, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you ain't going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they would have looked at the scribes and Pharisees and said, but those dudes are holy men. They keep the law. And Jesus is going to expose that and say, you know, it's like whenever you look at a preacher. I have people come to me and say sometimes when they get involved in the church, they're struggling with sin. And they say, Clay, here's the thing, man, you just don't understand. I could never be like you. I said, how do you think that I am? I said, let me tell you a few stories. I'm nasty and I'm filthy. The only difference between me and you is that I went to Jesus and said, God, I cannot do this. Help me. And he poured his spirit out to me. And He gave me a new life, and He gave me new desires, and He gave me a new heart. That's the only difference between me and you. But see, Jesus has come to fulfill. He says, I've not come to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it. And what He means is this. Every prophecy in the Old Testament, every law that was ever written down, Jesus was the only human being to ever actually keep the law perfectly. And He also was that which all the law and the prophets wrote about. And He said, look, there ain't going to be one iota, not one jot. Not one nothing pass away until everything written in the Old Testament is completely fulfilled. And he says, all of it is going to be fulfilled in me. And that word fulfill is a very interesting word because it literally means to cram full, to overflow. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go and I eat somewhere, I kind of judge a restaurant based on two things. One is the food good, right? Two, have they got enough to fill me up? I don't want anybody bring me out. Like, you ever go look at those fancy restaurants? Like, I'll, I'll look at it. Be at a high-dollar restaurant, I'll be like, they might have good food. Let me look at the plate. And they got, like, one piece of meat this big on there. Like, we ain't going there. <laughs> they ain't going to fill me up. I, I need, like, a plate this big. Because when I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat. And I need to be fulfilled. And see, Jesus is saying not only is he going to fill up to overflow the law and the prophets, but he, does, he wants to do that in our own lives, folks, because just like what Al was saying here in her prayer this morning, every single one of us, man, we've come in here looking for satisfaction We've come in here looking to be filled up. We've come in here with a little bit of a hole in our heart, maybe a gaping wide hole in our heart, trying to fill up that chasm that is in our heart. And see, Jesus made a statement, though. He said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants you to have an overflowing life, an abundant life. He wants you to have a life where you say, man, I'm totally satisfied. There's nothing I want. There's nothing I have need of. I've found satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And for many of us, that seems like a myth because for most Christians, they've relegated their Christian life to trying to do it, be a better person, maybe helping an old lady across the street, and then not sinning according to their own moral standards, whatever those may be. I ain't that bad of a person. I ain't never killed nobody. Well, I killed a mouse this morning, y'all. Y'all didn't laugh as hard as, you know. I thought you might. But you think about Jesus, man. You think about the abundance that that flows out of him. He fed 5,000 people, you remember, with just a few loaves and fishes, and they took up 12 basketfuls. We watched last week. He said, Peter, hey, I know you ain't caught nothing all night. Throw your net out on the other side. And they put their net out and literally the nets begin to burst. There was such an abundance. Jesus is proclaiming, I am the God of absolute abundance. There is nothing in me that you'll ever have need of, but you have been deceived into believing that there are pleasures and there are things out there that are going to satisfy you more than me because that is Satan's agenda. He seeks to offer you a counterfeit pleasure outside of God's law so that slowly but surely it begins to break down who you are and bring you into a place where you are no longer filled with the love of God. Because when we follow the law of God, he says, if you keep my commandments, you're going to experience my love. You're going to be filled with a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Something is going to happen in your life if you're able to do that. But see, we cannot do that on our own. And even as Christians, many Christians, I know y'all are believers, you would all tell me that, but somewhere deep down, many of you still aren't fulfilled. You're still looking for something. Could be more money, could be another sexual relationship, could be a marriage. There's something that you're you're still just not satisfied. And it's not Jesus that's going to satisfy. It's Jesus giving you something that you think is going to satisfy you. And all of those things, I'm telling you, they are dead-end streets. They're never actually fully going to do their work. And here's the thing. When we view God's law, we often view God's law as something that is going to keep us from pleasure, don't we? I did as a kid. I was like, man, who wants to go to church and hear the preacher preach on stuff like that? Because I, look... Ain't nobody going to tell me I ain't going to have sex. I'm going to do me. Amen. That's that's the mentality of most, most young people in our world today. They ain't trying to hear all that. Matter of fact, our culture actually teaches that we should have freedom in this realm because we should be able to exercise ourselves freely. And here's what I want you to understand about the law of God. The law of God does not hinder your pleasure. The law of God is put in place to actually maximize your pleasure. And the point that I'm trying to make is I've never met anybody. I've never met a young man who says, you know what? I'm going to look at pornography because it gives me pleasure. And then afterward, he is extremely happy with himself. He's empty at the end, everyone I talk to. I've never met anyone who's committed adultery. And after the act says, man, I'm so glad I did that. I feel great. It's pleasure in the beginning, but at the end, it costs you something. Nobody that's ever said, you know what? I'm sure I'm glad I stole all that stuff. Now I'm in jail. Nobody ever does that because there's a type of pleasure, see, that comes. And here's here's what I want you to understand is we've got an issue. We have a problem with pleasure. We have a problem with pleasure and Satan constantly is offering us counterfeits. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's something. Here's a quote that I got from a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He said this. He said, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. And what he's saying is, most people say, well, I can't follow God because all of the pain in my life, all of the evil in the world, all of the things that's going on, and oftentimes we attribute that to God when it's actually our own sin, our own evil, and ultimately the demonic that's at work in our world. And Jesus has said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You. When you experience loss, when you experience death, when you experience destruction, don't blame it on God. I'm telling you, it is the demonic and it is sin at work in the world. Jesus Christ has come to reverse that so that you might have life more abundantly. But the deception from Satan is that, no, that's not the truth. God is holding out on you. It's always been that way. He says, look, you need to be your own God. You need to decide for yourself what's good and evil. You need to pick what's pleasurable because God is holding out on you. But here's here's the truth. With true pleasure, the price is paid before you enjoy it. See, this means like when you pray, when you seek God, it's not really enjoyable in the beginning. I got to be honest with you. It's hard work. It's labor. But in the end, nobody has ever prayed and sought the face of God. And at the end, when they encounter God said, I, I'm so, I wish I hadn't done that. See, they pay the price beforehand to seek the Lord. And they experience the fullness of joy that comes from knowing the Lord. But false pleasure, see, the price is paid after you enjoy it and you'll go out and you'll do all, and we're going to get to a place where this woman committed adultery so let's talk about that specifically can you imagine i mean because people do that in today's world people commit adultery they cheat on their wives and And we talk about even having sex as a young person because we got a lot lot of young people in this church. And what happens is I know that most people have already committed that sin. I know most I've committed that sin. I broke the the law of God in that area. But there was a point when God brought transformation in my life. And he said, son, don't you understand? You have thought that was pleasurable. But in the end, what has it done? You're paying the price after it. You're paying the price after it. But if you would deny yourself and save yourself for the woman that I've chosen for you to marry, then you will experience it maximally the way that I designed it to be, and it'll be without any hardship. Because trust me on this, folks, there is no greater pain and hurt and suffering than sexual sin in your life. And when adultery takes place, it destroys families. There's nobody that has committed adultery and said, like I said, at the end, man, I'm glad, I'm glad that's happened. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because that's what we're going to talk about with a woman that committed the act of adultery. And we're going to bring that up and Jesus is going to deal with her according to the law even. And so you're dealing with all those things and, and, and we're thinking, you know, this is why God gives the Ten Commandments, doesn't he? And this is why he says you shall not commit adultery. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. Not because he wants to keep you from something but because He wants you to experience life abundantly. Amen. And so Jesus desires to be our satisfaction and fulfillment. He wants to be literally our everything. John Piper said it like this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. But see, we're so distracted. We're not satisfied with God. We're not satisfied with God's presence. We're not satisfied with serving Him. We want so much more. And it leads us into a place of bondage. And we commit sin and we break God's law and we enter into these things. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves emptier than we've ever been before in our lives, disconnected from God. And here, ask any person are you truly satisfied? Are you truly fulfilled? with what's going on in your life. And some, some might say, yeah, I am. But see, even the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, isn't it? There are pleasures that come from sin and it lasts for a season, but in the end, ultimately, it is destroying our lives. And see, God has always wanted relationship with us. And Jeremy talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But see, He always wanted relationship with us, but He gave us the law in order to enter into that relationship because He knew that we would just say, you know what, we're good, God. We're good people. And we can decide for ourselves what's good, what's bad, what's evil, what's right, all those things. We can do that and we're going to be good. We're going to do what you tell us to do. And he said, all right, I'm going to give you the law because in the end, I've got to show you that you're never going to be able to do what you think you can do without my help, without my grace. See, sin is breaking God's law. Here's what it says in Romans 8:7. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. He's saying there's a part of you, a sin nature apart from Christ. And he says, this thing in you, y'all ever been that way when I when I when I grew up, like I would hear you shouldn't do this clay, and son, it would like it would stir something up in me just to do it all the more. And that's actually what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the strength of sin is the law. That when young people actually, people apart from Christ, hear the law of God, rather than it empowering them to to keep the law, it actually brings rebellion up in them so that they actually go after it. And see, we put on a religious front and we all come to church and we wear church clothes, unless you're me, and then you just put on a hoodie. But we all put on the externals and say we're good people, but deep down we've never had a radical encounter with God's grace because we've never been brought to the end of ourselves and we are still committing the old sins that we always committed, unwilling to be broken before Jesus Christ. There's a lack of brokenness in the church world today, an extreme lack of brokenness. When conviction really hits people, you see it, you know it. And, and, and we're entering into a time in the church world where we're, we've moved away from the law of God. Here's what I want you to understand. A guy named Darren Pat, Patrick said this. Now, pay, cl- pay close attention to this. He says, In Western culture, almost any talk about sin will incur mocking, ridicule, and slander. In fact, the only sin upheld and exposed by our culture is to call something a sin. Yet it is clear we are to preach Scripture thereby exposing both the sin of the church and the sin of the culture. If there is no challenging of the sinful heart, there is no gospel preaching. If there is no astonishment at the forgiveness of sins, there is no gospel preaching. If there is no joy in Christ's victory over indwelling sin, there is no gospel preaching contemporary preaching tends to soften the offense of the gospel so that its message will be more palatable to modern sensibilities. What he's saying is that the church at large has really wanted to not offend people so that they could grow larger churches. And in the end, they quit talking about sin. They quit bringing up sexual sin. They quit talking about adultery. They quit talking about divorce. They quit talking about lying and stealing and all the things that people want to do because they don't want to offend people. So they offer God's grace and God's love, but nobody will truly receive God's grace and God's love because they've not yet come to the end of themselves and truly repented to God. And we have hundreds of millions of Christians across the globe that have still not yet repented. They've still not yet repented. And here's the thing. When when people get offended, I get it. I understand it. The first time I went to church, I want you to hang out with me because I even sense it. Maybe even somebody's probably getting angry right now. It happens. People get offended when they hear this kind of message even. They say, that's not the love of God. I get that people struggle. I struggled. I didn't want to repent for my sin. So I went into a church and a dude preached on my sin. And you know what I did? I hated that guy, man. I was like, who's this guy? Catch him out in the street. See what happens. Because nobody wants to hear that while they're in it. Nobody wants to hear that while they're in it. I get it. I understand it. I've been there. But what happened was, is it finally brought conviction in my life, and I could not break the tension of what was going on in my heart. See, the law of God has a purpose. It's leading you somewhere. I want to go over just a few functions that the law has. Number one, it separated Israel to be a witness to surrounding nations. Basically, when Israel kept the law, it was a light to say, hey, they're different than the rest of the world. They live differently. Two, it helps to restrain evildoers in society. There's a reason I might be tempted to go out here and steal something, but I'm probably not. Why? Because I'll go to jail if I get caught. It helps restrain people. Thirdly, it names our sin and stirs up rebellion in us, exposing the depravity in our hearts. Notice this. I don't know about you, but me growing up, I was a Christian. I believed in Jesus. That's why I told everybody. But I lived like the devil. And it was until somebody said, Clay, this is a sin that you're doing, I overlooked it. He's saying somebody has to name it. When you get in the Bible, it has to be named. This is a sin. This is against God's law. And those who break God's law are deserving of death. Right? That's what the Bible teaches. But we've, 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 we've softened down that message. We've relaxed it. we relaxed it a little bit. And then fourthly, it leaves us hopeless as it reveals our inability to live, to live up to God's standard. Fifth, It drives us to Jesus and provokes our need for a Savior. So I know this has been a hard beginning to a message, but we're going somewhere, folks. And this is the gospel, but you have to go through a process to get to the good news of the gospel. There's a guy, old old dude named Soren Kierkegaard. He said, you know what? Most of the preaching that I heard in my day, he said it was like people preaching a cookbook to starving people. He said they're going to go up and talk about the food and everything you could cook, but they would never actually make the meal. And my point is I'm not up here to preach on your sin and condemn you and tell you how sinful and how awful of a person you are. Even though we preach the law of God to expose your sin, ultimately we're not just preaching the cookbook. We're going to offer you a meal. Amen. We're going to give you something to eat from because Jesus has provided a salvation for you. And just because you are a sinner and you become aware of it, guess what? Everybody who's ever been a Christian has become aware of it at some point in their life. It's the path. It's the process. Nobody who has come to Christ has ever been like, you know what, I'm a Christian, but I've never really been forgiven of anything. I never really had any struggles. I never really had any sin before. I never really dealt with anything like that. No, that's not the case. And so we've got a major problem because we are completely incapable of keeping the law. But in the book of John, John 1, 16 and 17, John says there's a transfer that takes place in Christ. Because I just gave you the law of Moses right then on the beginning. But here's what John says. He says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And thank God for His grace because I need it. 17 For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he's saying there's an old covenant way of doing things, and it was the law. You were to keep it perfectly and flawlessly. If you kept it, you were blessed. If you did not keep it in one point, you broke it all, and you're guilty of all of it. It's not like, well, you know, I mean, I've, not, I've committed adultery, but I ain't killed nobody. No, you broke it all. Everybody who breaks the law becomes a transgressor and is under the judgment and the penalty of death. And see, we don't realize that. See, this was a breath of fresh air to Jewish people because they had been broken down by the law for 1,600 years and they were finally beginning to come to the understanding that, boys, we really can't do this. Like, we blow it every time. Have you ever recognized that? When I tried to serve God, what I realized over a one-year span was no matter how hard I tried to keep God's law and do what He said, I failed over and over and over again. But see, the law of God was doing a work in me in that process and I pray that some of you would allow the law of God to do that same work in you and in your heart. See, John 8 is a beautiful picture of this very truth, and this is the story that I'm going to finish on after I've built up to it. But Jesus is dramatically confronted with the law and with the law of Moses, and here's what it says in John chapter 8, verse 2 through 6. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him, notice this, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, I want you to imagine this in your mind. They drag a woman, full of shame, just caught in adultery somewhere. I mean, it's kind of weird if you think about it. How'd they catch her? I mean, was it public? Somebody bust in? I don't know. Maybe the the husband comes in. Who knows? But they catch her, they drag her into the midst of Jesus while he's teaching out in public, throw her in the public scene, and they say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Notice this. This they said testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, I need you to understand that this, this is crazy. And, and, and we're, we're such a gracious and compassionate generation that we really, at this point, we're not mad at the woman who committed adultery, are we? We're mad at them Pharisees for bringing her in there and exposing her because that's our heart. We're a compassionate generation. We love people. We can't imagine doing that. But here's what I want you to understand. I want you for a minute, you women in here, imagine that woman was the woman that was just caught with your husband. Some of y'all will be there with a stone quoting scripture. <laughs> y'all know it. You would be there. In Leviticus, I'm telling you, it says we stoned her. You, and, you, and guess what? You would be justified. You would be justified. They are acting lawfully. Because in Leviticus, in the Scripture, it says they had Bible to back it up. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. You know, you can commit adultery without any consequences other than how it breaks and affects your family nowadays. No, it's not a law, but for them it was law. You got caught in adultery, they found out about it, they take you out in public, they take big rocks, they stone you, hit you in the head, hit you in the back until you die. That's wild, ain't it? But see, we live differently now. We've relaxed laws. We don't, we're don't. we not as hardcore as them, and, and thank God. You know, I mean, like, I don't know that that's how we want it to be, but again, the law was there for a purpose. The law was never the end goal. That was never God's ultimate desire. And this is what Jesus is going to show in all of this. And so here's the thing they said to him, they said this to him, not because they cared about the law, not because they wanted true justice. They said it simply because they looked to accuse Jesus of something. And here's what they knew they said, Hey, Jesus, you said not to relax the law. The law says, that this woman, if she's caught in adultery, she needs to be stoned. So if you're really going to keep the law, bro, let's see what you got. we got to stone this woman. But see, now if he says, okay, stone her, let's do it. And he grabs up a rock and he hits her first, they're going to be like, oh my gosh. This Jesus isn't who we thought he was. Like he's went around being compassionate to sinners and loving on people. And all of a sudden he just kills this woman blatantly. out. So, so, so they've got him in a conundrum. Because on the other token, if he says, no, we can't stone this woman, that'd be just too mean. Guess what? He's a lawbreaker and he's not the Messiah. He doesn't fulfill the law. But I love Jesus because he's cool as a cucumber, man. Nothing ever takes him off guard. Not even this woman. Let me tell you something. If you've committed adultery in here today, your sin does not take Jesus off guard and your life is not over. This woman's life, you've done some horrible things. I've done some horrible things. But in Christ, your life is not over. He's trying to bring you to the end of yourself. He wants an abundant life for you. He wants something that you cannot imagine, but you cannot get there until the law's done its work in your life and you've come to a place of repentance. And so many people have bypassed this. And this woman, it seems to be the worst day of her life because the law is working in her. And I'm telling you, when the law of God starts to work in your heart, it feels like the worst day in your life because you're being judged and you're being condemned And you're being told you're wrong. And you're being told you're a sinner. I remember reading the Bible for the first time in the New Testament and realizing this deep realization, I'm not really a Christian. I don't really follow God because I practice these things and I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Man, that was life transforming for me. It hurt so bad. It hurts so bad. But yet at the same time, it brought me into a new realm, another dimension, because it brought me to God. See, Satan loves to accuse people, though. You know that Satan's name literally means accuser of the brethren. What are they trying to do? They're trying to bring an accusation against Jesus. They're bringing an accusation against this woman. What Satan wants you to do, for those of you that come in here and you come in here with a lot of sin, hovering over your head of all the things you've done wrong and all the things you failed to do, Satan loves to say, what are you even doing here this morning? You're a piece of garbage. Nobody, I mean, you should not be here. And you Listen to that preacher up there, man. He's talking about the law. You broke all this junk. But what you can say to Satan is, guess what? Satan, he did too. And I'm going to the same place that he went, and that's to the feet of Jesus. The same place that that woman caught in adultery went. And we can all be washed in the blood of Jesus. The only issue, the only difference is who wants to hang on to their sin and who wants to let go of it and say, that's not satisfying me anymore. I'm done with it, Jesus. I've come to the end of myself. I'm sick of it. I can't go there any longer. I'm done with it. And he's dealing with this and he stoops down on the ground. See, here's how Jesus responds. He stoops down. on. They ask him a question. He stoops down on the ground and he starts writing with his finger. Now, it doesn't say what he writes. I have a theory. Y'all care if I give you my theory? I'm going to give you my theory. All right. Exodus 31, 18, here's what it says. It says, And He gave to Moses when He had finished speaking with Him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of testimony, the tablets of stone. Those tablets of stone were the law that was given on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. He gives them these Ten Commandments, and notice what it says. They were written with what? The finger of God. So they're coming to Jesus, and they say to Jesus in the law... It commands us that this woman should be stoned. He stoops down being God with the finger of God and begins to write on the ground. I believe personally that Jesus stoops down and he says, y'all trying to teach me about the law? I'm the one who wrote the law. And he begins to write the Ten Commandments, I think, because we know that in, in the temple in Jerusalem, where he was at, where he was teaching, you have a stone ground right there. He's reenacting the writing of the Ten Commandments with the finger of God. And as he does this, they're continuing to question him because it wasn't enough for them, right? It wasn't enough that, that he's just there writing the Ten Commandments on the ground. They're like, what's up, bro? You've got to tell us this. We're, we're, we're giving you a, a, a question. You've got to answer us. It says so in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground a second time. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now see, I'm not convinced that this statement, because like, we, we love that, right? He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Like you go out and murder somebody and be like, hey, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. We love that, right? It's good. It helps us out, justifies us in our sins. So we love that when we say that. But I don't think that him saying that to these Pharisees is enough to make them walk out. I think they're like, no, this is the law, bro. We caught her and you can write the Ten Commandments all you want to and you can tell us that that if we're without sin, don't cast the first stone. But we've been stoning people for 1,600 years and we ain't going to stop now just because you say we're sinners too. Everybody knows that. But what I believe is He stoops down the second time to write on the ground, and here's what's beautiful, and this is my theory. But in John 7, you've got to stick with me right here. John 7, 37, 38. Just before this happens, Jesus stands up on the great day of feast and cries out and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In that moment it says that all of the Pharisees and the scribes that were around, they rejected Him. They said, no, we ain't coming to you. We don't believe who you are. You're a false Messiah, and we're looking for a way to kill you. Now, what makes that so interesting is that in Jeremiah 17, 13, there was a prophecy that says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord the fountain of living waters. Now, I want you to understand this if if you're still with me. The first time he goes down, he writes with the finger of God the Ten Commandments. He stands, he says, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. He stoops back down to fulfill Scripture because they have just rejected the fountain of living waters, Jesus Christ himself. And he says, whoever rejects the fountain of living waters shall be written in the earth. He stoops down next to the commandments and he begins to write their names next to the commandments that they've broken. I believe maybe he got specific with it. Like, hey, Bartholomew, you up there trying to accuse this woman? What did you do two years ago with this woman? Maybe he's writing it out specifically. Because here's the thing. In all of our lives, now Jesus is doing with, to them with the law what the law did with her. Because the law has done its work in her. What has it done? This law has convicted her. This law has told her that she's worthy of death. This law has revealed that she's a sinner. The law of God has driven her to her breaking point to where she knows she's at the point of death and she's in desperation and hopeless. But guess what? The law did exactly what it's supposed to do. Where did it throw her to? Right at the feet of Jesus. That's what the law is designed to do, y'all. And she's at the feet of Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, All right, He who is without sin casts the first stone and we'll be all right. And it says they're all convicted and they begin to walk out one by one And see, in that moment, there's something that's happening with this woman's righteousness because it's not like the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They entrusted their own law-keeping to make them right with God, but in the end, guess what? They were sinners just like that woman was, weren't they? They were messed up just like that woman was, and all of a sudden they were convicted because they realized the stoning and the death that this woman deserves, we deserve it too. And that's good, isn't it? We deserve it too. So we're all on equal ground As they say, as the old timers say at the foot of the cross. Nobody has more of a right to come to Jesus. Nobody is more righteous and more holy in a way that's going to get them to heaven. Your righteousness and your holiness is not going to get you into heaven. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter in. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees said, you know what, I've done pretty good at keeping the rules and I'm going to make it in. I don't care how good you've done at keeping the rules, you will not make it in until you come to the end of yourself and you say, Jesus, I can't make it on my own righteousness, but I will take yours because you went to the cross for me and you died in my place and you took my sin and now you have clothed." me in your righteousness and I love what it says because in verse 10 and 11 it says when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman he said to her woman where are those accusers of yours has no one condemned you she said no one Lord and at this point she calls him Lord the Pharisees called him teacher she calls him Lord when you make Jesus the Lord of your life things change and Jesus said to her neither do I condemn you Go and sin no more. Now, the only person that has a right to put this woman to death is Jesus because He is the judge of all the earth. Amen. And he has a right to put her to death because he's the one who, ex- who put the law in place. But here's the difference. He has, he has paid for the law and he loves to remove accusation for your life. So you're thinking, man, hold on a minute, Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Are you just going to overlook her adultery? Like, we can't do that, can we? Can we just overlook the fact that she has committed this blatant sin in front of everybody? Can we just overlook that? And here's what I want you to understand. That Jesus never overlooks sin. He never overlooks your sin. Jesus did not overlook her sin. He was getting ready to go and die for it and pay the price for it. He said, I cannot condemn you because I'm getting ready to go to the cross and I'm getting ready to take all of your condemnation, all of your sin upon myself so that you can be free and you can walk in no condemnation. This is why in Romans 8, 1, it says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means that today you can put your faith in Jesus Christ, and no matter what you've done in your past, the evil that you've committed, you can repent and turn to Jesus. And he says there's no condemnation left for you. There's no judgment left for you. There's no hell left for you. Because if you will believe in me, I took your place. And he says, where are those that are, that are going to accuse you anymore? Who Does anybody condemn you? She says, nobody, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I think the church gets it mixed up because you know what the church says? The church says, sin no more and we won't condemn you. But Jesus says, we don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. We wait on people, and, and we say this all the time, but when people come to church, they're like, man, I would come to church, but i got to get a few things together first. Once again, you will never get it together without Jesus. And so if you come in here, while are in a buck last night, we don't condemn you. Come to Jesus. He will enable you by the power of His grace to go and sin no more. Will it be hard? Yes. Did this woman get up and immediately act better the next day? she probably had some struggles. She probably wasn't completely free yet. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that she had an encounter with the living Jesus where she looked love in the face. She looked grace in the face. The law had brought her to the end of herself, and all of a sudden, she found one that loved her more than the law ever could, and she said, now I've experienced fulfillment in my own heart. Because when you think about a woman that commits adultery, I mean, why does she even do it? I don't know. She's probably doing what every other human being is doing in their lives. They're looking for some kind of satisfaction, some kind of fulfillment. She's tempted in a moment of time. Maybe it's for power. Maybe it's because she genuinely lost enough to do because he's really good looking. I don't know. But deep down she's got a longing in her heart and I bet after she does it she's not saying man I'm glad I did that. No she's at the end of herself. She's broken. And Jesus is saying now I've come to fulfill this deep longing in your heart. I know why you did that. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to bring you to a place of forgiveness and restoration and healing. And my grace will empower you to no longer have to live like this anymore. You can be truly fulfilled in me. But see, we got to let this law do this work in our hearts. And this is why we preach. You know, I know you, you preach what I preach at the beginning of this message. You talk about sin. It's like, but Clay, none of the cool churches are doing that now. Who cares? We've got a gospel to preach. And unless people repent of their sin, guess what? They don't know Jesus. It's a sad state of affairs. Had I not went into a church years ago and listened to a man, and I'm telling you, this man, when he preached, son, he got down. Like he preached so hard and so loud and so fast that it would scare you to death. And I did not like him but it was the first time anybody had publicly called out my sin and preached against my sin and I hated it and I left but within the next couple of weeks I was so convicted I said what I'm doing is wrong this ain't right I can't live like this you know what I started doing I started trying so hard to fix it trying so hard to change it It failed over and over again but that failing and that law drove me closer to Jesus no matter how much you fail folks don't quit coming to Jesus He's going to receive you. If you go out this week, you you listen to this message. You say, all right, Clay exposed some stuff with the preaching of the word. God's done something in my heart. I realize I need to turn from this. And you go out, and in two days you fail again. Don't allow Satan to accuse you and say, you can't go back to church now. No, you come back next Sunday. You pray the following day. You keep coming to Jesus because each time that you come, he's going to say, I don't condemn you. I died for you. I don't condemn you. I died for you. No longer is there any condemnation. I died for you. The blood still washes you clean. I know you failed again. I know you messed up again. But my death on the cross was enough. And it's made the payment for you. Just don't give up. Just don't give up. Get back up on your feet again. Cry out to me. I'll give you more power cry out to me, I'll give you more strength. See, here's what it says in Romans 8, 3 through 4. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law could not do this. It could not enable you to live a right life. Nobody going to get up here and say, hey guys, don't have sex before marriage and don't commit adultery and you're going to go out and obey it. You're not going to do it. The only way you're ever going to obey it is if you have a living relationship with a God where you cry out to Him night and day and His Word is getting in your heart and you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not because I told you not to do it. It's because the Spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you now. You're born again. You're a new creation. This is what we need. We need genuine conversion in our churches where people say, I'm tired of sinning. I need a real relationship with God. Man, we want a real one, don't we? I don't know about you, there was a time when I got tired of playing patty cake with it. I wanted something real. Man, we need something so real in our lives. He said, the law was weakened by the flesh. He could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, you ain't going to get it right day one, but when you start your relationship with God, He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And day after day, you're going to find yourself making the right steps more and more and more until the sin that used to have you in such bondage is a mile back behind you. I've been there. And I remember waking up one morning when my sim was a mile behind me and I remember walking outside and all of a sudden I looked at the trees for the first time and they were beautiful. I never noticed them before. Because I was always needing drugs or alcohol or sex to feel some kind of pleasure. I remember sitting down a dog come up to me. I pet that dog. I know this is weird but I pet that dog and I thought, man, I've never really experienced life out of this before. Because all of a sudden, the light turns on. And life is totally different. You get pleasure out of things you never got pleasure out of before. It used to take alcohol, drugs, and sex, and all that party and everything. And then all of a sudden, that stuff just brings you to the end where you're empty. It doesn't do it anymore. And something as simple as lifting your hands in church and singing a song and joy starts to overflow in your heart. Weirdest thing, isn't it? This morning, I know a lot of you come in here, you coming to church, it's just weird. You're like, you're judging the band you're like well they're kind of weird this is like one of those modern churches they got they got lights and stuff preachers got a hoodie <laughs> I know I, I know you're I know we do that. we do that stuff don't we and you know what we do in the process we miss out on God we miss out on God because we sit back and we judge it and here's the thing that, you come in here I come in the presence of God I lift my hands not because you can look at me in the back and say man look at that guy up there lifting his hands No, I'm engaging with God my heart begins to beat I get filled up with joy. I say, this is why I'm here, man. I'm here for you, Lord. And this is what happens to this woman, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And see, so many of us, we chase substances, we chase more money, we chase a better career, we chase something looking for fulfillment. And he's saying, you're over there walking in darkness right there. You're not satisfied, you're not fulfilled. I am your fulfillment. Jesus can be that for you this morning. Amen. I want you to bow your heads right where you're at just for a moment. And here's the thing. Whenever we pray, I love to give people an opportunity to truly respond to the Lord and what He wants to do in their lives. And right now, I'm not going to put any pressure on you. I know it's a hard thing to even take a step. But if, if this is convicting your heart and you realize, man, I, I either I've not been saved... And I really need to turn to Jesus and believe in Him for salvation. Or maybe I truly have, but I've forgotten this message and I've forgotten this word. And I've allowed things to come into my life. And I feel disconnected and cut off from God. And I'm not satisfied at all. I want you to, right now, I want you just as an act of faith, just say, you know what? That's me. I raise my hand. I, I need prayer. Just raise your hand where you're at, if that's you. I see some hands. Three, four. Anybody else? Five. Five. Six? See, this is speaking to all of us. Seven. More and more hands. But here's, here's what we're doing. We just need to respond to God. We've got to learn to respond to God and give Him, give him our all. Because every, every single one of us, we've got things. We have broken God's law. But man, thank God that there's grace in Jesus Christ. He does not condemn us any longer. We have salvation. We have forgiveness. So I want you to pray right there to your seats. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And we ask you, Lord, to forgive us of our sins. God, we confess you of our sins. The truth is, Lord, we are that woman. That woman caught in adultery, that's us. We are deserving of death, Lord God, because the wages of sin is death. But your words doesn't stop there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what I'm praying, Lord, is that you would move in each person's heart by the power of your Holy Spirit and we could come to you afresh, Lord Jesus, and receive cleansing, from your blood but also be filled with that fresh water of your holy spirit lord god so that we could go out empowered in a new and a fresh way to experience the fulfillment god that only you can bring that only you can give. It's your love, God. It's your joy that fills our heart. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us all, that you would bring us to the end of ourselves so that we could truly experience your grace, not just hear about it, not just preach about it, but that we could experience that hand reaching down to us like you did that woman. God, to pull us up out of our sin and out of our shame and out of all of that bondage and out of all of that brokenness and to hear you say, neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you this morning and we ask it all in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet. Listen, we're going to worship the Lord together here. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever,